The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Hey, everyone. Before we get into football in a couple of minutes, I wanted to take some time to share some thoughts because I hope many of you are having the same thoughts that this isn't a non-sports conversation. It should be a conversation that everyone has because the problem is is at the root of this nation and, and everything grows from there. And I want to start by saying that I cannot even imagine what someone else's life is like. Let me repeat that. It is impossible for me to understand what someone else's life is like. People living through legitimate, crippling hardships, people in a constant discomfort, even fear on a day-to-day basis. I might be in the exact same situation as another person, but it is impossible for me to know the feelings someone else has in that moment, the previous experiences or interactions that come to the forefront and manifest in that instant. But there is a baseline of human interaction for all of us to meet, and it's kindness, the the pursuit of empathy, and the understanding that there are other perspectives beyond the one that you hold. And if the statement that Black Lives Matter upsets you, please take a step back and do your best to survey what has happened in the last week, what has happened in the last three weeks, what has happened in the last three years, what has happened in the last 30 years, and so on, and consider the conscious and subconscious advantages other lives in this country have had in that same amount of time, and that it has not been equal treatment. And so it's about time we listen to those who have not been given the same advantages. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. my friends, and welcome to this, another episode of the Roto World Football Podcast. My name, as always, Josh Norris, joined as always by John Daigle and Ian Harditz. Gentlemen, different type of show today, something I've been looking forward to for quite some time. You know, as many of you out there most likely want to know, it's how those of us in the industry, even outside the industry, go through our drafts. So today, John Daigle will go into the depths of Ian Harditz's mind as he goes through a round-by-round round best ball draft, something that we should all be anticipating. The first time we're giving this a shot. One of us drafts with 11 other, other listeners of the pod, and then you and I will play devil's advocate or just agree, and we all get along. Something tells me that's not going to happen, though. Let, let's set this up to start. Uh, this is a best ball draft, and we talk about best ball drafts all the time. That means that there are no waivers, there are no free agent ads, there are no injuries that you change your roster to okay. just the optimal lineup is set each and every week ian how many rounds are in this one is it 21 is it 22 something of the sort 20 um, rounds we have a defense unfortunately but we no kickers at least so gotta deal with those and uh yeah so you know just because of the nature of the league where it's automatically setting your optimal lineup week by week boomer bus guys i may be worried about the you know bus weeks a little more not so much now because you never leave that guy on the bench that's kind of a nice thing about it so yeah, you know, we talk about strategies all the time. We write about strategies all the time. I know, Ian, you've done a handful of drafts already this offseason. What is the approach you're going to take? Because we have about three minutes or so until this draft starts. Yeah. What is the approach that you have in mind right now heading into today's draft? RB first three to four rounds, probably. I haven't messed around last week and went RB first six rounds. I think that was a little intense, but I do think loading up on them early, it's just making sense right now. I read a good article the other day just about how you know, maybe Zag when everyone else, I think shout out Jack Miller, a good article, but you know, Zag when everyone else is zigging because everyone, everyone wants to load up on RBs early, but you know, I think people will see at least going through this draft, just how weak the running back position kind of gets after those top 20 or 25 guys at the position are. So, you know, if you want to really be different and load up on some high end wide receivers, that's fine. But I think this has become the chalky kind of move for a reason because you know, the running backs look great early on the wide receivers still look great in round 10 plus. So. Just like you remember the type of contest you play in DFS, though, you have to remember the type of contest you're in for best ball leagues because I totally agree with the Rotoviz studies, and Jack Miller did a great job, as you said, breaking it down, going zero RB, but that was meant for those football guys championships as well as like main events happening in August where you're playing for 350 to 500 K grand prize against hundreds of thousands of others. Whereas just a 10 or 12 man best ball league, I think you can just keep it simple. Um, two or three quarterbacks, Two defenses, at least for sure. Never stack bye weeks. Never stack your bye weeks with your tight ends. And then six or seven running backs and wide receivers. And that's how you come away, I would say, EV, just by drafting correctly. 
We are in the fourth spot, and I want to say that this is Ian's draft. Ian is the final decision maker in this, if we can equate this to an NFL team. But I would say that John Daigle and I are kind of the angel and the devil on either shoulder and either talking him into or out of other selections or just giving our input. Would you say that that's the correct assumption here, Daigle? Correct, yes. Uh, we do a lot of these on the Roto World Twitch Friday at 7 p.m. Eastern every single week, Ian and I, and there are typically a lot of disagreements. So I kind of know where he's leaning already. Um, however, we'll see. We do agree and do enjoy some of our teams together. I don't. I don't spend Friday evenings with you, so this is the first time. <laughs> this is the first time. I hear you're back in the dating circles. Secret tells me. This is the first time I will be um, doing this together. Um, this is also great for all the people who have not done best ball leagues before. Hopefully, this is an introduction for that. It's also something that you can take the conversations that we have and spend them forward to your drafts either in July or August. And this is something that if it goes well, you are all witnessing this firsthand the first time we do it at the same time um, that we want to do each month, if not more frequently than that. Ian, how much time do we have left until the first selection? If we can pull 30, right 30 seconds, everyone. 30 and, freaking seconds. And we'll talk about it as it moves along here. But at the end, when this video gets posted, remember, if you're listening to the podcast, you can actually check out the video and you can see the ADP and players come off the board in order if you're interested in that. Yep. And before we get started, if you do enjoy this podcast, this one, if you enjoy it for this entire offseason, if you enjoyed it for the last few weeks, consider rating and reviewing. It helps us out a lot. Telling one friend, it helps us out a lot. And if you're watching the video on YouTube, just search for the, the Road Football Podcast on all podcast platforms and you can find it there. Again, in that fourth spot, Ian, let's talk about maybe the four names that you have in mind right now, because I'm sure that everyone knows the top two in Christian McCaffrey and Saquon Barkley. Does it get any murkier or muddier moving on from there? I think Zeke's the clear RB3 behind those guys, too. So it comes down between Dalvin Cook and Kamara. I've still been putting Michael Thomas behind uh, these big five RBs, I think. And at this point, I'm inclined to take Dalvin Cook over Kamara. I mean, Kubiak got him that 50 reception floor last year. No digs around. I mean, I know they're different, you know, receivers and like the different types of players and all that. But again, there's just not much competition for Cook's targets. And if the guy stays healthy, we know he's pushing for 300 plus carries. Maybe what the most fancy friendly fun game in all of football with Kubiak kind of pulling the strings. So I think I'm going Cook at four if he's there. And unlike FFPC, we are playing, as we said, on best ball tens, and that is not tight end premium. Thus, everyone is treated the same as PPR leagues. So we're not looking to prioritize a tight end so much just because um, they aren't weighted as heavily in this format. Mm -hmm. Okay, first pick off the board, it is Christian McCaffrey. That is no surprise. The second pick is Saquon Barkley. Also not a surprise. Um, you talked about you know running back heavy early on, and we talked about it in previous podcasts, Ian how that is where everyone is going this year because it's twofold. One, you hate the running backs that you might be able to find in rounds four and rounds five, but you love the wide receivers in there. So if you go receivers in the top two rounds, you kind of prevent yourself from doing that in rounds five and round six where there seems to be so much depth. So I'm assuming that's why you might be going running back here, at least part of the reason why here at number four. And I got Zeke to fall to me at four because uh, someone reached on Kamara at three. I mean, again, I don't think – I think it's definitely McCaffrey, Saquon, uh, you know, kind of then the three. Or maybe you could say Zeke's even in his own little second tier, but I'm happy to get Zeke there at four. That's great because – you know, I mean, Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead, John. 
Oh, no, I was going to say, that's why we try to prioritize in tiers and not so much rankings. Like, I understand rankings are important, but, like, if you want to talk about best ball drafts every Friday night, having no life, imagine trying to argue the incremental point difference between the RB4 and RB5. Like, that's no life. I was going to say, I mean, we're talking about, that, like, Zeke's pretty much just much more we feel better about his health version of Dalvin Cook because he's also pushing for 300-plus carries and a very good run offense. And, I mean, he had fifty, he caught 54 passes last season, 77 the year before when Jason Witten wasn't Dak's uh, primary, you know, underneath target. So, Zeke, I mean, we haven't seen him have that overall RB1 finish yet. I think he finished as the RB2 as a rookie, but I mean, that's firmly in his range of outcomes in 2020. Also, if this is a sign of how the rest of the draft is going to go, Ian Harditz showed no hesitation, not even asking us what our opinion might be on this pick. <laughs> just made the selection for himself. And so we might have someone in charge here who is not listening to those people in the room, but that's fine. Look, we're going to see how this moves on as we go on. Um, I mean, obviously Zeke has that built-in floor in terms of rushing volume, but it was fascinating to me, Ian, that in the last, what I guess it was last year, we did see the amount of targets drop off. Um, He's someone who got super involved in the passing game a few years ago and now maybe with Tony Pollard, who we think is one of the best backup running backs in the league, who's been outstanding on the amount of touches and the opportunities he's had. I do wonder if that volume and that workload does change at all for Ezekiel Elliott. Yeah, I mean, it could. But I do think just, again, the difference of having Witten versus not. I mean, that it's a, it makes sense why those targets disappeared last year when you're feeding Jason Wooden and Randall Cobb who's also underneath, you know, 82 targets that's why we're so in on cd lamb because there is enough available targets in the cowboys offense to support more than just cooper or gallup i'm just saying it could be zeke and look saquon and mccaffrey have their 400 touch projections that no one else is getting anything close to but i just think you know unless you want to take michael thomas and all those potential catches there just in terms of zeke dalvin and kamara i mean you know, kamara is still in that kind of split with latavius so his touch projections is so much lower and then cook versus zeke i mean i think i'm going with zeke there do you guys would you guys go cook no, I'm, I'm definitely going Zeke over Cook every time. Um, and I would also argue that, yes, CeeDee Lamb does fill the role of better Randall Cobb underneath, but Blake Jarwin's not Jason Witten, like over 11 yards per catch the past two years. Blake Jarwin is much more of a deep threat than Witten yep. ever was in his entire career. So it's just a different outlook underneath as a whole. And so unless we think Tony Pollard is suddenly involved more on offense as a pass-catching specialist, like the range of outcomes, as you said, is Zeke number one overall. It really is. Yeah. Okay, in this 12-man draft, um, after Zeke was Dalvin Cook, then Derrick Henry, then Kenyon Drake, Michael Thomas as the lone wide receiver selected so far, Joe Mixon, Miles Sanders, and Nick Chubb. And I think we still have one more pick here in round one. Um, Any names stand out to you? I I would say Miles Sanders stands out to me. I mean, I I, I love Miles Sanders. He's going right now as an ADP running back 10, around 14 overall. But this is probably a case where – you know, the person picking at 10 felt they couldn't get him possibly on the return. And they just believe he's going to have a feature back workload um, going into his second season where right now there is no veteran presence really competing for touches outside of Boston Scott, who's obviously just a role player. Last year, Sanders averaged 18 touches over that those last eight games, the playoffs included, on 72% of their snaps. Uh, I think his snaps get scaled back, but I still don't understand why we don't envision him as a 15 to 18 touch guy every single week. 
uh, even if they don't sign a, a veteran behind him, I think it's just Boston Scott who shores up that veteran's touches and not only, but keeps a role as well. So uh, I like Boston Scott to have standalone value actually a little bit, uh, but I still think Sanders is an RB1. He's about RB7 actually. All right, guys, I'm thinking here. So I got I got a pick coming up in six. Six picks, and then I got a fairly quick turn with another pick in seven. I'd like to come away with Kelsey or Kittle here. I think if Kelsey's here at 21, I might try to snag him. The running backs available are fine, but we're kind of, you know, we got that RB, the tier behind the big five are pretty much gone at this point. So we're looking at, you know, Aaron Jones, Melvin Gordon, Chris Carson, Le'Veon Bell, James Conner, Togger, like that tier of guys. And, okay, we're going to take some of those dudes for sure. But I think at this point, give me the freaking tight end one from the last four seasons who just went, Ugh. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but come on. We knew he wasn't going to fall. Like Travis Kelsey will never fall yeah. beyond the middle of the second round. Um, I will say, though, at the number seven overall pick where Kenyon Drake went, if Hopkins failed there, that's where I'm looking to take Hopkins, even if he's not the next best player on my board, because I'm trying to start a little stack at that oh. position for best ball. It's funny because Kelsey and Kittle now are off the board, and we yeah. know how much life is easier when you have one of those early tight ends because you don't have to then maybe – you know, select one in the middle rounds and you then have to wait to select one in the later rounds. So locking up one of those top two, it's fascinating. So yeah, walk us through because DeAndre Hopkins just went off the board route for George Kittle. Big uh, five wide receivers are gone. Big two tight ends. I'm holding off on wide receiver. I think it's muddled. Interesting pick position. All right, guys, all these running backs. Yes. We we just had this conversation in recent weeks. Why not go with James Conner? Look at all of those names that are listed ahead of him. Who has the best projected workload? Who's also in a good offense? To me, it's James Conner above Leonard Fournette in that regard and a love above Le'Veon Bell in that regard. James Conner to me. Come back seven picks, though. That's the question. I'm taking two RBs. I'm okay locking down Conner, I think. Because look, I mean, the names ahead of Chris Carson. Yeah, right. I would would take Gurley, but I don't mind Connor. I'm not taking Gurley. I was thinking Melvin Gordon. Honestly, I think I might have MG3 ranked a little bit higher, but the James Connor feature touch ceiling is so much higher. And that's why Connor and even Kenyon Drake, I'm coming around on more and more because, like, they have that massive 400 touch potential. Probably yeah. not. I mean, that's why we're not picking them in the top three. But, like, you know, everyone has these pass game deficiencies in this kind of second group of running back. Even if they're guys like Joe Mixon that can catch, they still have scat backs there. Kenyon Drake really might not. I mean, Chase Edmonds could be a little bit involved. But the more I look at it, it's like Drake really could just have a special season coming. So it seemed like you were focused on a running back there, Ian. Meanwhile, the likes of Chris Godwin and Mike Evans went directly after James Conner. My question to you reflecting on what you just the decision you just made why not select one of those two wide receivers and then hope one of those James Connors Todd Gurley's whoever else was there in the return because you could also get a wide receiver here though at at the early part of round three as well I just think it was a I mean if Hopkins would have fallen to me he got sniped a pick before I would have taken him but I do I go back to the running backs at those top five wide receivers are gone being uh you know Hopkins Julio Tyreek, Devontae, and of course, Michael Thomas. So if those guys are gone, I'm pretty much taking those running backs before I take the next group of wide receivers. Cause yeah, I mean, there's good names out there. Obviously, having Goblin and uh, Evans can't hurt, but I mean, OBJ, I have Adam Thielen ranked above all these guys. I have Allen Robinson ranked above these guys, and they're still a decent way down the list. I'm mean, even guys like, you know, Robert Woods and Devontae Parker, and these guys are going to be down there uh, in the fourth round. So 
I'm thinking still 28th pick coming up in three. I'm looking at running back again. Do you guys see yeah. a wide receiver you would well, take over an RB? Let me ask you, because in the starting lineup each and every week, it's two running backs and three wide receivers plus a flex spot. So so why not get one of those wide receivers that you need now that you absolutely love? I mean, you, you talk about it all the time. You love Adam Thielen. I mean, Odell Beckham is still one of the most talented wide receivers out there, and he's still on the board. Why not go in that direction? Man, we got to spill these – we got to fill these two running spots, running back spots every week. And I just think these guys with the touch projections are so much higher. We can get boomer bust guys. We can find a wide receiver around 15 that can give us usable weeks. That's going to be incredibly harder to find a running back that can offer us anything like that. Opportunity. Uh, so I'm with you, man. I, I don't, I don't hate the players. It's just like, yeah, like John's saying, it's opportunity. By yeah. the way, uh, at the top of round three, the first pick of the third round, Lamar Jackson just went off the board. Dig, what's your thoughts on that? Far too early. I'm only going Jackson in rounds two and three at that number one overall spot. Uh, one, if he falls, and two, in tight end premium, because if that's the case, then I can actually start a little stack at number one overall and have McCaffrey or number two, Caffrey, Barkley, and then you can go Lamar and Mark Andrews, thus answering tight end early and having Lamar. Otherwise, I think it's a reach if you're not stacking him in the first three picks. Ian, there's, there's I, I no just – I don't feel comfortable with these running backs on the board right now. I mean, why do we not love Melvin Gordon this year? It's a, it's a fair question. I think that obviously John Elway has been searching for, you know, a powerful runner for quite some time. And that's why they took Royce Freeman and Philip Lindsay went undrafted. And obviously he wants someone in that role, but I don't know. I, I might want to aim for the ceiling in someone who's in a fantastic offense, like Clyde Edwards Hilaire over Melvin Gordon. Why not? I would go Edwards Hilaire over Carson. Those were my two picks. Okay, I'm going to switch it up and go with my wide receiver six, Adam Thielen. That's smart. Because I am looking at the running backs, and I already having two bell cows like Zeke and Connor. All right, Thielen's locked in. You know, I wouldn't mind having the extra running back, but looking down here, there's a chance I could still get David Montgomery, David Johnson. Maybe, probably not Clyde Edwards-Solaire. People are souping him up pretty quick, but – I'm okay if my RB3 isn't as locked in as, okay, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire just went. So there he goes. But, um, yeah, I, I got my first two RBs. That's fine. I, again, I would really recommend RBRB at a minimum. And then if you want to get a wide receiver in there, great. But, I mean, on my fourth pick, I'm coming back to another RB. It, it, and volume is what we always talk about, right? And I understand your reasoning for going to running backs early because you can, and especially in a best ball format where you don't have to predict spiked weeks, you can get those types of wide receivers late, but I do think it's worth locking in a player who might be top five in the league at his position in targets at the end of the season. I think feeling could have been that it wouldn't shock me if DJ Moore is top 10 in targets in the NFL this season. You know, so there were a few of those names that were still on the board that to me at least gave me more confidence and comfort in selecting them at this point in the draft than hoping that a back, you know, one stays healthy all season and two locks in 12 to 15 touches. Cause you already have two backs who I think are going to get 15 to 18 touches per week. But in that case, that's why Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is the perfect number three, because even if he is playing with Damian Williams for a little bit, like that's a number one running back you essentially have on your bench to spike later on. And we have to, like, dude, I, we talked about this last week. I do love James Conner, but we really have to question how long he can stay healthy. His body is not like other running backs, which is yeah. something we have to discuss for fantasy. A success story in his own right, but how long does that really last? Well, his back is now 10 times the size of any other running back. So sailing on his back now. Yeah. I, I got to tell you guys, I am a sucker for those thirst traps during the offseason right now. I'm yeah. <laughs> that percentage season. I'm all about it, man. How, how can you not be? And, you know, we always hear about zero running back during fantasy draft season. 
And I think in best ball formats, it has to be of a slightly different approach because a major part of zero running back is locking down high upside uh, waiver wire ads during the season. And that is obviously not the case and something you can't do during best ball. So while we can, you know, select backups that might fall into a feature back role as handcuffs later on in best ball drafts, um, locking in. It's just not the same. It's not the same strategy as, as you know, redraft zero running back. Would you agree with that, Daigle? I totally agree. And again, this is a 12-man league, regular recreational. And if you're if you're playing a lot, you're treating it more like a portfolio. So you know you have lower percentages, higher percentages of guys you really like. Um, yeah. If you're just playing one, like $1 league, $5 league, also okay. But um, if that's the case, I'm not getting cute at all. I probably am starting four or five running backs. I don't care about best player available on the board. I'm just locking up that position because we know receiver is the most volatile position anyhow. So um, we can find our spots there later on. But most people don't play just one league. Most people, rather than playing a $35 FFPC, will play seven $5 best ball tens, which is great because then we can expand a little bit more. Yeah. Ian, there's about eight or nine selections until you're up on the board. Obviously, you feel so much more confident in the wide receivers going off the board right now, like Calvin Ridley, Allen Robinson, who just went off, compared to you know Todd Gurley, Melvin Gordon, Le'Veon Bell, Jonathan Taylor. Where's your mind at? Who are you looking at about seven picks until you're selecting? The only running backs kind of left that I would want to pull the trigger on are – David Montgomery, David Johnson, J.K. Dobbins, because I think those are the – and Chris Carson, actually. He might be on top of that list. Yeah. Um, just because the touches are there. And, again, I mean, the wide receivers are great, but coming back seven picks after, I mean, they're still just – I mean, if you know, if A.J. Brown's to me, like, that's great. But if I have to settle for D.J. Chark or Terry McLaurin, I mean, I think all these guys are just awesome. So, yeah, they're yeah, awesome. I'm going to be yeah. looking RB here at 45. All right. Rashad Penny was healthy scratched last year um, several times. And I actually, I don't know if he gets healthy scratched, but I would imagine Hyde is treated literally just as breaking case of emergency glass. Like I don't think they'll use him at all behind Chris Carson unless that uh, lingering hit, unless that hip injury lingers into the regular season. Let's again, though, let's talk about opportunity because I, I think opportunity is something that we always go back to. And obviously talent matters. But Ian, would it be shocking at all if David Montgomery's rookie season was the worst season of his career? I think that that's almost something that we can fall back on right now. And if we're looking for someone who is locked into at least 10 touches a week, and I understand they, the blocking was bad last year and the Bears didn't really try to improve it this year. But of this group, I'm really liking David Montgomery, I got to say. Yeah, I would love if we could get Tariq Cohen the ball a little bit less, a.k.a. the least efficient receiver amongst 38 guys of triple-digit targets last year. Because we saw Montgomery actually make some catches, like, you know, on wheel routes kind of down the field. It's not like he's got stone hands. They just feed the ball to Tariq. Yeah, I mean, I guess the question with Montgomery is, are we okay sacrificing a little bit of potential receiving upside that David Johnson and Chris Carson to a lesser extent have for that higher rushing floor? And I think the answer might be yeah. Josh, can I propose a lunch bet to you? Yeah, go ahead. Can I have David Johnson over David Montgomery? Can I have um, the achy back and the shaky knees and the quicksand running of David Johnson over yes, David can. Montgomery? Yeah, I'll okay. take David Montgomery over that. Put it on the board. We need a sounder, by the way. I'll, I'll work on a sounder. 
Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Uh, speaking of our draft guide, which will be out later on this summer, just looking at where we have the consensus running backs, we have David Johnson as running back 18 uh, and David Montgomery as running back 23. Meanwhile, I have David Montgomery as running back 17 and David Johnson as running back 23. So I'm kind of the inverse of all of us and the group think that we might be having. So what, what just happened? David Johnson obviously just went off the board. Yeah. I don't have my guy. Mount, I don't, I can't have my guy Montgomery tonight. I can't take this type of stress right now. Well, there's one pick until we select Patrick Mahomes also went in the middle of the fourth round. Um, if you guys are wondering where those top quarterbacks are going in this draft, it was the top of round three in the middle of round four. We have one pick until Ian selects again with our sights set on David Montgomery 30 seconds to go. If, if Montgomery's on the pick, who are you going to pivot to? Yeah, let's not get too locked in here for Montgomery. No, I think so. Okay, I'm looking at those, I'm looking at those receivers. Never mind. I saw the receiver. Cortland Sutton, I guess, would be the consensus best receiver on the boards to Von Diggs after that. My God, what is this rich guy doing? Yes. There we go. Cortland Sutton just went off the board at Fort Ian. So I guess that makes David Montgomery the selection. Ian, I know you wrote like a whole article on David Montgomery. So we have, you know, a couple minutes before you <laughs> make your next selection. Why don't you tell us your findings from said article, which you can find now on rotorworld.com? Yeah. I mean, again, I'm just looking at the volume from last year and like how bad was he? And, you know, again, we all saw the college graphic, the feet of Saquon Barkley, vision of Le'Veon Bell, strength of Zico Elliott, and then kind of funny, the athleticism of Sony Michelle. Comp for Dave Montgomery. No, he did not quite look like that player as a rookie. But, you know, he really wasn't that awful. The yards after contact for attempt were not good. But guess what? Like, this Bears offensive line was kind of bottom 10 in pretty much every metric. And like Miles Sanders, Montgomery got a lot better as the year went on. I think he cleared four yards per carry in four of his final five games after only getting that once or twice in the first 13 weeks of the season. So, truly did start to develop. I know he's not, you know, going to put his foot in the ground and race for 60. He doesn't have a best wheels but again they didn't draft anyone and then add any running backs to this team there's gonna be no mike davis issue this year i mean with health we can project them for 300 plus carries and i don't think he's gonna be that bad again i mean it's 
like literally, all right, 250 touches is arbitrary, like a lot of numbers we throw out there, but only nine of 153 RBs last 10 years with at least 250 touches failed to finish as at least an RB2. Yes, Montgomery, Hyden, Sony, Michelle were three of those people last season. So, again, we, I'd like a higher pass game floor, but we're pretty much getting him at the floor of what we should expect him to produce with these touches. So, you know, ceiling's way there, and we don't have to draft him like a top, you know, two-round back. So I'm fine taking him later because he still does have that ceiling. Dago, you are suspicious. You are skeptical. Why? Uh, and we're just not asking all the questions we need to about the Bears' offense. Like, what if they stay the same? Then arguably Montgomery just stays the same as well. Because um, okay. we know well, – yeah, let's hear about Ian's pick real quick, and then we'll get into it. We're on wide receiver – Keenan Allen, DK Metcalf, Stefan Diggs, Devontae Parker, Debo Samuel, Terry McLaurin, looking like the top guys. Guys, uh, Terry McLaurin might be the pick here. And I, you I know, go back to running back. What, well, we have three running backs already. Excuse me. Ian has three running backs already. I don't know if I want to associate myself with this draft. Yeah, um, you don't, you don't have to draft though. Like, let's, you don't have to get locked into filling your starting roster. Sure. Okay. But, and maybe I I'm digging into Ron Rivera's comments too much, but. What Scott Turner did with DJ Moore in his second season, I might even say it wouldn't be a shock if Terry McLaurin's an even better pro than DJ Moore is, especially as a route runner. And there was a 42 target gap between the two last season. And it wouldn't surprise me at all if Terry McLaurin sees 40 plus extra targets this year compared to last year. We want Terry McLaurin. Love it. Absolutely. Ian, we are of a like brain today. I don't know if that's great. And I think it is also it's also frustrating the hell out of John Daigle right now. No, it's fine. I just don't want everyone to get the idea they have to be locked into filling their starting roster because that's not – it literally doesn't matter at all. Don't worry about that. Well, go back no, to running no. back. We're, yeah. we're not going to be taking a quarterback until much later. I, I'm assuming – unless Kyler – I wouldn't have been – all right, if McLaurin wasn't there, I would have taken a longer look at Raheem Mostert and or Kareem. I know, I know about Mostert too, so. Most, you don't want Mostert? What running back do you like? Uh, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I had to look around a little bit more. I think I maybe would have waited. I don't know. I, I mean, none of those running backs stand out to me. I mean, Mark Ingram went about two picks after um, Terry McLaurin. Then Cam Akers just came off the board. I would much rather go with a player who we saw last year when it wasn't even expected of him, when he had an offense that was broken for half the season and then wasn't good the other half of the season when he's now playing with a quarterback with some – solid talent with someone who played in college with, with now an offensive coordinator and Scott Turner, who has shown the willingness to create manufactured touches for his best skill position players. I think Terry McLaurin can only improve his opportunity and his production in year two compared to year one. I love the pick Ian. I mean, like the knock on McLaurin is that he was a complete world beater with Case Keenum. And then he merely regressed to like a wide receiver three with Haskins. But even that regression, we got to look at because Okay, it didn't start out pretty, some tough matchups and that, but by the end of the season, we saw McLaurin ripping off wide receiver two lines in the last three weeks, you know, against the Packers, Eagles, and Giants. So we'll see what happens again. But again, the fact they didn't add, like Antonio Gibson is the only newfound threat for targets in this offense. And it's safe to say they play pretty different, you know, positions in this passing game. So McLaurin, great player, more opportunity coming around. And again, it's not like we had to draft him as a top guy, even though we know he has that in his range of outcomes. So give me all these undisputed wide receiver ones, like even like T Y Hilton, I'm kind of coming uh, around on. Cause okay. You don't, this is being priced into them. This is why T Y Hilton and McLaurin are down there. We have concerns about it. He doesn't have Tom Brady throwing the ball or anything like that, 
but that's why they're lower and they still have that high end range of outcomes. So, and, and if we have concerns about the Redskins offense, it's one left tackle because they even have questions about that. And it's about quarterback play. But if we can ask those same questions about the Panthers offense last year, they had them right. Like they had left tackle trouble and they also had quarterback trouble. And I guess that troubles in Kyle Allen, which is at worst the play that Terry McLaurin's going to get. And he's associated to the same play caller and the same coaches that, you know, allowed DJ Moore to get over 120 targets last season. Like, I don't see that there's really a place to fail if Terry McLaurin plays 16 games because he's the number one wide receiver on a team that knows how to get the number one wide receiver of the football. It yeah. just makes sense to me. I love Terry McLaurin. And uh, arguably, he wouldn't have come back either. So if you want him there, you take him there. Cool. Let's reset first five picks in this Ian Harditz draft and let us make it known that it is just an Ian Harditz draft. Uh, Ezekiel Elliott, James Conner, David Montgomery, Adam Thielen, and Terry McLaurin. Those are the first five picks. Again, this is a three wide receiver, two running back, single quarterback, single tight end, and then a defense. So there's no flex. There's no flex in this. And we know know we're going to need two defenses. Right. What about those later? Those two picks are allotted for us already. Um, another another tight end has come off the board in Zach Ertz near the end of round five. But then we have just, you know, a bunch of running backs, especially a lot of rookies. I mentioned Kay Makers. DeAndre Swift is in there. J.K. Dobbins is in there. Those are all fascinating cases to follow as fantasy drafts unfold, guys, because, you know, in best ball, it's quite different than redraft. Redraft, you have to sit in your bench, possibly maybe only seeing five to seven to nine touches each and every week. But with best ball, they're on your roster. So if they become the starter in week six and week seven, then you didn't have to worry about having them and keeping them on your bench when they really are offering you zero in those first five or six weeks of the season. So, Dago, uh, looking at the roster we got so far, do you think I should look at someone like Kareem Hunt, Ronald Jones, Sony Michelle, go for one more running back here? Or do you think having Zeke Connor Montgomery, I'm in a position to – keep going receiver and maybe, you know, come back around with the Pollards and whoever I can get a little bit later down the running back uh, tier in another round. And the, what is this? The sixth round coming up here Um, or in the sixth round. Yeah. In the sixth round, I'm still plucking away at running back and wide receiver, basically just kind of best on the board. Like right now I see Debo Samuel up there. I'm still very high on him. Um, I'm probably reaching for Marquise Brown at this point. No, no. That's a little um, look two spots below him. No, I mean, look who else. Oh, you're talking about uh, Will Fuller? Yeah, sure. Yeah, Will sure Fuller and Marcus Brown. Sure. Like, sure, man. They're, they're just like right next to each other. So, But I'm going them over like Tyler Boyd or Jarvis Landry, who are both very consistent players. I understand. I don't think there's a law that says I can't take both Hollywood Brown and Will Fuller. Well, we'll, the guy, what well remember, remember where we're at. The guy with Lamar Jackson is picking three picks after you. So there is a law saying Ooh. he may be yeah, with Lamar Jackson. Remember, everyone, you have to remember what's going on in drafts at all times. <laughs> so let me get this straight. In re- and I need to ask this question. In redraft, in this round six, round seven territory, would you be comfortable taking the likes of Marquise Brown and Will Fuller, Ian? Or is it because we're in this best ball format, you are more willing to select those guys because of spiked weeks you don't have to predict when they're going to have massive performances. Basically, it is selected for you when they do. It's that, and I also just think we're looking at, I mean, those guys are wide receiver ones. Why Why take Christian Kirk in the same range when he's going to be the Cardinals wide receiver two, maybe wide receiver three? 
a good amount of weeks. Even Tyler Boyd, like Jarvis. We just have, again, there's just still wide receiver ones on the board, middle with other guys who are going to be their teams, number two and number three. This is why, you know, on our previous pod, I was talking about the Giants and Texas wide receivers. This is great. You get to this point in the draft and you still have guys that have that wide receiver one ceiling in them. All right. Debo Samuel just went, unfortunately. And Marcus Brown went as well. That's why I was shaking my head. So it wasn't a reach. Well, let me ask you this, because we talk about volume. We talk about targets. Why go after someone like Will Fuller, who might be even second or third, let's be honest, and the team's targets versus Jamison Crowder, who's going to lead his team in targets this year, Dave? I mean, it just comes down to age. It comes down to actual upside. Like Jamison Crowder, it, like, yes, he'll lead in targets, but overall production, fuller ceiling, we've already seen it. Not only have we already seen him at his age and him, him still like ramping up his career, uh, the Texans also have 10 vacated targets per game, an extra 105 air yards per game from Hopkins' absence. So I know that isn't apples to apples. Fuller, full, fuller fills in for all that. But it's just like the profiles. Fuller's the guy who's going to win your week, possibly, whereas Crowder's the guy who will hit his floor. All right. Ian just was on the clock, and we had mentioned Marquise Brown and Will Fuller. So Ian went ahead and selected Will Fuller. Why? Yeah. I mean, at this point, he's my wide receiver three behind Thielen and McLaurin. So I was able to already get two of those kind of top dogs in their passing game. So I feel a little better about, you know, sacrificing the target floor just for the raw upside that. Fuller brings and, you know, all he does when he's on the field with Deshaun Watson is put up wild numbers. I understand he's been injury prone, but you know what? Keenan Allen was injury prone until he wasn't. So it's one of these situations where the only bad thing I think you can say about Fuller is, well, can he stay healthy? And, you know, again, if if it's a player that we don't have reason to believe they're going to be missing time to start the year, I mean, we need to pay attention to injuries, but unless it's super severe, I'll take that chance. Just to keep everyone else in the loop of where these quarterbacks are going, because I know that's always a storyline in people's drafts. Kyler Murray went at the end of round six, the 11th pick in round six. Um, got just a ton of wide receivers going off the board. Dak Prescott just went at the third pick of round seven. So, Ian, you're back on the clock. Where's your head at with this what selection? running backs are available, Ian? Say what? What running backs are available? We have 50 seconds. I just want to take a look really quick. Ron Jones, Sony. No, thank you. Do I want to reach and get to Sean Watson since I have Fuller or just add another baller or wide receiver? Uh, I will say let's reach for Deontay Johnson. Deontay? Ooh. Um, I like. Why? Why Listing the guys over him. Uh, I mean, just the opportunity. And also we have, I don't, we only have 20 seconds. So I don't have time to explain, but we have James Conner. That's kind of the summary of it right now. So I'm taking Deontay over Tyler Boyd, Jarvis Landry, Jameson Crowder, Darius Slayton. Those are the four. Sure are. Okay, now that we have made this selection, Daigle, what's the reasoning? Because Deontay Johnson, while I think he flashed during his first season, and you know, there's an argument to be made that he's definitely the best perimeter receiver on the Pittsburgh Steelers, you are still trying to and predicting a massive jump here for Deontay Johnson in his second season. And even though he did lead his team in target share last year, which I think that that is being overlooked quite a bit. Well, it wasn't just target share. He played 11 games with James Washington and Juju Smith-Schuster and had more fantasy points per game than both of them in those games. Uh, so it's someone we can predict quite easily for a second-year breakout, assuming Ben Roethlisberger stays healthy. And that's why these guys like 
Connor, we talk about him being a value. Deontay, Juju even, who's even making it out of the second round most of the time now, despite being the number five overall receiver drafted last year. Uh, all these guys are becoming values because it all depends on Ben Roethlisberger. And since we're trying to maximize our ceiling and we already have Connor, I'm taking a slight gamble over getting Deontay over Boyd and Jarvis Landry in this instance and hoping we can grab Roethlisberger here in two or three rounds. Ian, it feels like this pick showed the least amount of conviction from you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I do have I, – I need to go through my rankings again a little bit because I, mean, I have Jameson Crowder ahead of Deontay, but, you know, it's just one of those things where at what point do you take the sure thing, the 120, 130 targets of Crowder, or do we hope for the 160 with Deontay Johnson? And that's the thing. When you do get down into – that was round seven – I do find myself, you know, going for the upside and going for the upside and going for the big play guys over the target hogs. So we'll see. I mean, I, I think maybe part of the allure of Crowder was he was going a couple rounds later, uh, not all that long ago. So we'll see if he hangs around a little bit. But I, I don't hate it. Deontay Johnson's a great player. He has that high potential. I think it's almost like a Curtis Samuel, DJ Moore situation as last year where it could go right. We're seeing one guy, DJ Moore, priced well above the other guy. I think these ADPs are going to slowly creep towards each other as we get closer to the season. You know, Juju, like DJ Moore, deserves to be ahead of the guy, but it doesn't mean they both can't ball out. And I would say Crowder does have the upside. He was the wide receiver over 11 overall in PPR leagues and Sam Donald's 13 starts last year. However, uh, you know, maybe treat everything I say with a grain of salt because remember, I also play and I already have in best ball leagues dating back to March. I play in so many, so I do treat this as – I'm not looking at my rankings because if we're just looking at our rankings every single draft, then we're just taking the same guys over again and setting ourselves up for failure if one guy fails. I'm trying to expand my portfolio and just make sure I'm not set up for failure by drafting a bunch of my favorite guys as opposed to just like the same eight or nine over and over again, yeah, if that makes sense. And to that point, uh, in our draft guide again, which you can find on newsstands later on this summer, Ian has Deontay Johnson as the 33rd overall wide receiver and Jamison Crowder as the 25th overall wide receiver. Again, that's a redraft, but that is slightly different and very exactly to the point that Diggle made. Ian, I do have a question. It looks like three or four, actually four of our players all have week eight buys. Is that a concern at all? Well, now you brought it to my attention is a little bit concerning, Josh. Uh, I guess four, that's four of seven picks already. Yeah, having the three wide receivers week eight bye isn't great. Normally, I don't even pay attention to buys until we're looking at the backups. You know, maybe this is a lesson that I should have at least one eye on it. But at the same time, I mean, it's okay. I just got to be a little cautious now getting the rest of my wide receivers to make sure we're okay for week eight. But I don't know. Don't take a lesser player just because you – match up with a buy. I, I have not had this happen yet with uh, all these drafts. I guess it was bound to kind of catch up to me, but in general, I think buys tend to be a little bit overrated unless you're looking at, you know, a clear backup. This is when you just adjust in draft though. Like we now know this team will be a seven or eight wide receiver team and only a six running back team. Like we already know this now. So um, we'll just adjust on the fly. Every single draft, we're always just trying to adjust here. Right. And in this type of format, I don't think it matters nearly as much as it does in redraft, right? Because you don't have to make waiver changes or lineup changes each and every week. It's something that your everyone's roster is, is set in stone. So you're not necessarily punting a week at all here. So it, it's totally fine. I just want Diggle, to bring that much attention. Give me the QB stat. What round do you need to get a QB in? Oh, I mean, it all varies. Uh like, oh, you said, like between like it's between seven and eleven, you're supposed to come away with your top. Oh, the Rotovis stat. So, um, the Rotovis stat is round seven through twelve. It is the highest win rate 
coming away with two or three quarterbacks. We're, we're in, we're in the vicinity. Yeah. Um, and it always varies for me. It always depends on if guys fall. Like I'll even take, um, dad or like Kyler in the sixth. Sometimes he falls to the end of the fifth and it's like, Oh, well I have to take him and just avoid that rule. Um, and I'll still get th- two or three or whatever. In this case though, Watson continues to fall. I don't know if he'll be there when, by the time he gets to us here in five or six picks, but if like Watson falls to us, I'm taking him here. Yeah, Ian, could you go back to those quarterbacks? I want to make a list for everyone out there. These are the quarterbacks still available, at least in this draft, in round eight. Sean Watson, Josh Allen, Matt Ryan, Aaron Rodgers, Carson Wentz, Drew Brees. I mean, if there is ever an example of why you should wait on the position, if you miss out on values, not where they went in this draft, but in other drafts of Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes, then it's waiting on the likes of these names because I would be comfortable going all the way from Deshaun Watson all the way down to Drew Brees and Carson Wentz and feel very, very good about it. And with quarterbacks here in particular, this is when we're starting to peak on bye weeks, um, really hone in on it, plus uh, stacking opportunities because we know we want Roethlisberger now with this team. Um, Maybe something else will fall in. Again, I'm not trying to prioritize it, but like Watson to Fuller would be amazing if it falls. Like that just kind of happens. And we can still get Roethlisberger and it can just be a two-quarterback team because we know Watson, barring injury, is going to play every single game. Ian, there are about four picks, three picks left before you. Who are you having your eye on right now? I'm hoping Watson falls. He's been there for a bit, but we'll see. If he's not there, I might go ahead and just pull the trigger on Josh Allen, that rushing floor. Just so, so, so ridiculous. And Watson and Allen are the last two kind of guys before we get all the way down to kind of Gardner Minshew, who's going to give us a consistent rushing floor. So, Again, hopefully Watson falls, and now with only one pick before, it's going to be Watson or Josh Allen for sure. Okay, well, hold off on that selection. I want to run through a few names that went just above you uh, because it just shows the state of the draft here in round eight. It's Sony Michelle, Brandon Cooks, Darius Slayton, Darius Geis, Keyshawn Vaughn. Obviously, some of those running backs and some of those wide receivers will hit, but here at this point in round eight, I would much rather have you know selected players we're much more comfortable in earlier in the draft at those same positions and then wait on quarterback. I know I keep reiterating it, but that is at least how I work through um, waiting on quarterback. It only makes sense. It absolutely only makes sense. Um, we haven't talked at all about tight end, by the way, like not a single second. We actually haven't even like clicked over on it. Real quick. I am grabbing Deshaun Watson here after Matt Breida was picked a pick before. So round eight, Deshaun Watson, let's go. Is there is in the range of outcomes that Deshaun Watson can finish the season as a top three or top four quarterback, even without DeAndre Hopkins and his team yet. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's an argument that, you know, I think the argument Bill O'Brien hasn't been able to make all that articulately, but I think what they think is that they were force feeding the ball to hop. No one has more targets than DeAndre Hopkins over the last three years. And I just think they have now surrounded Deshaun Watson with so many more receivers than he's used to having. It used to be, one of Hopkins or Fuller will get hurt, and they have no one else. So now they really won't have that problem. I think Watson is so good in just enough period to make the most out of not great weapons. And they actually do have good receivers out there. You know, okay, maybe Cooks, Fuller, Cobb get hurt. Everyone laughs, and they can't do much on offense. But, you know, again, if Watson can play 16 games, which he has the last two seasons, his rushing floor is, I think, underrated just because of how crazy Lamar and Kyler are. But Deshaun Watson's a legit top 10 rushing quarterback we've seen in quite some time. And then he's got the huge boom ceiling we've seen. So, you know, I know his splits without Fuller are not good, but I just think that that's the, that makes more sense to me because you're removing the field stretching threat. DeAndre Hawkins is amazing. I don't want to say an offense gets better 
without DeAndre Hopkins by any stretch. But I think Watson's good enough to continue to be a top five quarterback. Yeah. Uh, it's also in the range of outcomes that they're just bad, right? Like the offense just tanks as a whole. And that's what worries me. Having said that, if they do, yes, I could see Watson, no hyperbole, averaging seven carries per game because you know what he's going to do. He's going to put the whole team on his shoulder and try to extend plays even further. And that's kind of where uh, we're at with the Texans offense. Okay, right. the clock. Do we see any running backs worth looking at? Because I well, don't. A significant pick just happened because if you did want to handcuff, Tony Pollard just went off the board, who was the handcuff to your first round pick in Ezekiel Elliott. Um, yeah, you're an interesting spot here, Ian, because we're certainly not going to take tight end in this spot. Josh Allen's still there. You got 30 seconds. Take us through. Take us in the mind of Ian Harditz right now. I don't – all these tight ends, like Noah Fant would be the guy I want, but that still just seems a little bit like a reach. Wide receivers are good, not great. Like John said, we're taking seven. I, I mean, I can still take shots on guys like Deshaun Jackson next round. I'm going to clear up my quarterback situation. We're going only two quarterbacks. Okay, I like I'm, it. I'm, yeah, I'm going Josh Allen. There I think I would have gone C.D. Lamb, but um, I like it. And, of course, uh, Deshaun Watson, week eight by Josh Allen, week 11 by. So we're covered here. Those guys are going to start everything. And I know you professionally looked at the bio weeks before you selected him, Ian, so don't worry. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so we literally don't need to add a third quarterback to that team. Like, we are good now. And so we're kind of saving spots for more wide receivers since, again, you're not worried about bio weeks for receivers, but since three of our guys are gone week eight, we kind of need to add a few more here. Yeah. Let's reset. Let's list Ian's team right now. This is not the order he selected him them in, but this is – who was on his roster? Deshaun Watson, Josh Allen at quarterback, Ezekiel Elliott, James Conner, David Montgomery at running back, Adam Thielen, Terry McLaurin, Will Fuller, and Deontay Johnson are the four wide receivers at this moment. Again, two running backs, three wide receivers start every single week. Ian, how do you feel? Talk us through the roster at the moment. I like it. I mean, we know we still need to address tight end, but I think if I can get one of these – you know, kind of borderline tight end ones like your Jared Cook, Noah Fant, Mike Jasicki types. Get one of them, get one of them. And because I've done well enough at quarterback, I can get three tight ends. Like John said, we're gonna be getting seven wide receivers. Um, 10, 12. yeah. So, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens with the running backs. I wish I could have handcuffed Zeke with Pollard. I have no interest really in Tariq. Yeah, Tariq Cohen just went anyway. I don't care about him. We like that's. All right, I've seen Giovanni Bernard get some hype. Yeah, just because you're a backup running back doesn't mean you're a true handcuff. So keep that in mind. And with that in mind, I'm wondering like, all right, do we we want three more running backs? Do I use like two of them on Pittsburgh and just try to get whoever's in that backfield? I don't no. want Benny Snell, obviously, but just maybe later. Okay, Josh, that was a quick no. Tell me why. Because I don't think if James Conner goes down that it's going to go to one single running back, even though I always revert back to, you know, that team being a one running back offense, you know, we've seen it picked up by Benny Snell. We've maybe Anthony McFarlane gets it. I think that they view James Conner as someone who can handle 15 to 17 to, if not more touches per week. But after that, I don't think that there's that type of style, that type of skill set on the roster. And I, I just don't want to invest in a backfield. I, I want to invest in backs that I think, can operate in that role if given upon, like you just mentioned with Geo, you know? Uh, you mentioned also how we haven't even really been flicking over to tight end. And honestly, because after the top four, top five, if you want to include Evan Ingram, uh, you don't need to waste your time looking. Um, there are so many questions with tight end six through 10, six through 11, that it's not even worth 
knowing the difference in scoring between that range and the next tier, it's not worth even trying to decipher uh, the questions all of those guys have. Tyler Higby, for instance, like, can he continue on? And I think he can, but again, such a big question mark to invest in this at the tight end six overall. Hunter Henry, completely different offense without Phillip Rivers. Noah Fant, Drew Locke under center, who he averaged three targets per game from last year. He was hurt. Uh, Austin Hooper, a new offense, and Dallas Goddard, touchdown dependent last year. So it's just, there's just so many things that we don't need to worry about reaching for these guys. Jared Cook is intriguing to me, though, because he made a difference on that New Orleans Saints team. He obviously missed some time. He had to play some games with Teddy Bridgewater as well. And I know they added a rookie to go along with him. But I think if Jared Cook plays all season long, he still has an impact in that offense. My other question to you, Ian, this is the type of we're in round 10. Upside is there. Is someone like Matt Breida still on the board right now? He went just after my last pick. Okay. ADP list him as like the 12th round. That's not true. He goes in the eighth or ninth round. Most of the time, because I get him in the eighth or ninth round every single time. Okay. Good to know. Good to know. Uh, also, uh, the thing about Jared Cook, I'm worried because uh, he was also touchdown dependent. He was, he was living on only 4.6 targets per game from Drew Brees, but also like his high slot rate, the third highest among all tight ends, I believe is now threatened by Emmanuel Sanders. So I am somewhat worried about Jared Cook this year as well. Although like if you're getting them 12 to 14, sure. Why not? But He's going in the top 12, which is too much for me. Ian, is the 10th round starting to be where you seem to have the same late round shots that you like to take, the same late round players that you like to target? Is there anyone that you're consistently coming away in drafts in this range with? Yeah, uh, Deshaun Jackson's been maybe wait another round, but he's up there. I really like Anthony Miller, guys. I mean, again, it's just, it's really annoying that Tariq Cohen is there hurting Montgomery's ceiling and Anthony Miller's because. You know, they only replaced Taylor Gabriel with, you know, 35-year-old Ted Ginn, or maybe he's even older at this point. I mean, the guy can still run for sure, but clearly, like, he's not going to rise to the top of that passing game, or at least he shouldn't. So, Anthony Miller, seven year, seven touchdowns as a rookie with a bomb shoulder last year. You know, weeks 11 through 15, he was working, like, as a wide receiver eight. I know it's, you know, a selective split and everything, but at least we've seen him function as a legit wide receiver one wide receiver two before and and man Allen Robinson could make some stuff happen I know the Bears offense is kind of gross and Daigle was mentioning that before but right now looking at the board I'm leaning towards uh, Latavius Murray because he's kind of the him and Boston Scott I'd say are kind of these last guys who and even Boston Scott could lose his role if they end up signing someone Latavius is going to have maybe three or four usable weeks on his own if Alvin Kamara stays healthy and God forbid something happens to Kamara and we have a round 10, you know, league winner. So I, I, I love that pick. I mean, I was in on Latavius last year because he was the Mark Ingram replacement. Obviously Alvin Kamara didn't return on value necessarily last year, but that allowed Latavius Murray to get 637 rushing yards, five rushing touchdowns, 34 receptions, 34 receptions for Latavius Murray last year for over 230 yards. And what's changed? Nothing has changed. You know, they've even possibly improved the offensive line. It's still his backfield along with Alvin Kamara. And if Kamara ever goes down, then we know Latavius has those top 12 scoring running back weeks, possibly in his future. I love Latavius Murray with this selection. Yeah, you're not betting on Kamara for a three-down role. You're betting Kamara for efficiency. And last year was his first year without Mark Ingram in his career. And uh, his very nice 69% snap rate was his career high. And he's surrounded now with running backs on the board like Darrell Henderson, like Alexander Madison, like Chase Edmonds. You know, something has to happen basically for all of those players to get touches and they're going to get touches. But it just makes sense to me, 
get Latavius, who's going to get carries and catches every single week. And if an injury happens, then his role will greatly, greatly, greatly expand. I love it. And that's what we did. I love it. Um, there's another name on this list that I do actually want to talk about because it's been the news because Frank Reich loves to talk up his players. And that is Naeem Hines. Um, where do you stand in Naeem Hines right now, Daigle? I mean, he's, he's just a name that is around those like A.J. Dillons and Justice Hills and Jamal Williams. And I, I think Naeem Hines is going to get more opportunity than those guys. Yeah, I mean, maybe not the 10 catches per game that Reich said, but uh, it's odd because – so T.J. Hernandez of 4-4 football did a really good study. And basically what you're trying to chase in the mid to late rounds and when picking upside running backs are guys that have a path to 40 catches. Like that extra boost and point floor is what helps them get over the top as a potential RB2 and RB1. And we know Hines has at least that. We know he's an explosive player. I still just think the backfield is – uber crowded between Mac and Taylor Mac who I really don't think is going away so uh I like Hines but more as my I guess RB6 in later rounds not as a guy who we think will have to depend on five catches per game or whatever hmm. Ian if someone like Duke Johnson was on the board who went I think about five or six spots ahead of Latavius Murray would he have been that conversation or do you feel really good about Latavius Duke's kind of like what I was saying about Geo. the problem is I think if David Johnson I think if David Johnson gets hurt, like Duke's not getting that three down roll we saw last year. I mean, they just don't really trust him with it. And regardless of if they should, they should trust him with it. But no, I mean, you know, maybe he does have the receiving floor, but I don't know. I just have a hard time believing he'll even get that many receptions next year because David Johnson is such a better receiver than Carlos Hyde that it's not really a one-to-one replacement. But guys, we are on the clock. I'm leaning wide receiver or tight end. I see Curtis Samuel, Anthony Miller, Golden Tate, Preston Williams. I'll see Noah Fant, who I think is the last tight end available that could work as their offense's number two pass game option. I understand the Drew Locke splits weren't great, but he was also kind of playing injured, 50% snap rates Fant was during that stretch. Thoughts? Hmm. If I'm waiting on tight end, I don't know if I want to be, like, selecting the first tight end of that run. Yeah, I'm still waiting. All right. I mean, it's your team. It's your team. It's it's, it's your team. Did you have a backup in mind? Uh, I'm going fan. I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> I do have, I mean, fan was one of my guys with the magazine ride to, you know, kind of defend having them ranked above you guys. Not, I, I just think that when you see these extremely athletically talented rookie tight ends do anything as a rookie, which he did. I mean, again, it wasn't a top 12 performance, but who's done that as a rookie Gronk and Evan Ingram. That's it. So the fact no fan did anything, you know, his name is right there with just some absolute stud rookie tight end. So I, I believe the threshold was like eight yards per target. And he met that. And I know a lot of those kind of design screens and stuff, but, you know, there's not a guarantee that Jerry Judy and, uh, you know, uh, KJ end up kind of yeah, hammer. There's not a guarantee that they emerge as locks number two and number threes. I mean, if you're a betting person, you could reasonably say no fans going to finish number two on this team in targets. There is, you know, they have a bunch of tight ends signed there. There could He was kind of an annoying committee uh, throughout last season, kind of like Hawkinson was in Detroit. But for round 11, it's a true first-round elite talent at the tight end position. I'm okay reaching on them. Just I'm okay reaching on my guy just on a, a round before I probably could have. And the section of the draft guide you're referring to is our outliers portion. We all rank, and then Hayden Winks compared all of our rankings and, you know, put out, as the title suggests, the outliers of who was higher or lower on a player. You have Noah Fant as your tight end 10. Meanwhile, John Dago has him 
as tight end 19. He's our tight end 14 overall. And I would say the only tight end that's still on the board or was at your selection that we had ranked over him was Hayden Hurst. So Daigle, that's a fascinating one because you had Hayden Hurst as tight end eight and you had Noah Fant as tight end 19. That's a massive disparity. And I would have assumed that you would have spoken up more in the corner of Hayden Hurst in this pick. Uh, well, for me, it's overall, I'm not taking a tight end at a position. Like a blanket statement, blanket rule, I'm not worrying about tight end right now. But if I did, it would be Hayden Hurst. Uh, remember in the three games that Hooper missed last year, Jaden Graham ran the seventh most routes among all tight ends. And that's not to say that Jaden Graham will get those routes this year. That's to say that Hayden Hurst is going to be Austin Hooper this year in that offense. He's going to at least be out there for every single snap as a receiving threat. Um, I don't know if he can be a receiving threat. He was in college, which wasn't too long ago, but that's what I'm banking on is just the volume in a explosive offense with a very bad defense that will have to perform every week. Um, all right. We've got quite a bit of time. Again, let's reset and name the players on Ian Harditz's team. Deshaun Watson, Josh Allen, at quarterback. Again, Ezekiel Elliott, James Conner, David Montgomery, and now Latavius Murray at running back. Adam Thielen, Terry McLaurin, Will Fuller, Deontay Johnson, and Noah Fant there to round out the wide receivers and then that one tight end that we have right now ian would you feel comfortable finishing this draft with just two tight ends would three tight ends be the right move or is three tight ends just too many here with just 20 people on your roster it depends who my second tight end i can get if i can get one of hurst blake jarwin or chris herndon i think i'd feel comfortable enough only going two but if I have to kind of go down, take a shot on, you know, Irv Smith, Jay Sternberg, or Dawson Knox, I'll probably, you know what? I might try to do this anyway. Oh my gosh, no offense, another week eight bye. Son of a. Uh, I mean, we, well, we only have more running backs right now, too. I was saying, if I want to go three tight ends, my third's absolutely going to be Darren Fells at the end, who could feasibly lead the Texans in touchdowns. I mean, he, him and Watson on the goal line just uh, love each other. So, We'll see. I think it makes most sense if Hurst can fall to me. I do like Hurst. The problem is, like, I don't want to assume the 97 targets that Hooper got in 13 games is what's going to happen for Hurst. I mean, Hooper had 88 and 65 targets in 16 games the previous two seasons. So much of his work last year was just an extreme negative game script. I don't think the Falcons are going to be a ton better than they were last year. So, you know, maybe Hurst can't live with those checkdowns again. But, you know, he's just a clear-cut number three guy in that offense. I didn't see the same ceiling that I see with Fant, but I think, he, I think he's still a very good pick. I mean, I'm not sure where exactly I have Hurst ranked, but I think it's still around that tight end one borderline. Could you click on the all tab just so we can see all the yeah. positions in combination so we can see who's all together? Yeah, Robbie Anderson, TJ Hawkinson, Tom Brady, Curtis Samuel, Golden Tate, according to this pre-draft list on ADP, are the best available yeah. players. Um, it's tough to know where to go here because – I really feel like when I enter drafts in this round 12 area, I forget about ADP before I be honest with you. I go with players who I feel confident in either because of upside or because of volume um, and ones that I basically try to exit every single uh, league with. And they're kind of conviction plays. Dago, is that fair? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm, yeah. Skip ADP. You're right. Um, to a certain extent. Now, obviously, if these guys are going to come back to you and really we are only drafting against uh, three other people since we're at the four spot, and we're only worrying about the three behind us who could snipe us on the comeback. That's what we're kind of looking to. But, yeah, we can start skipping ADP here and go with guys we like. 
And Ian, I would say one of my conviction plays this year would be Deshaun Jackson. You know, yeah. Deshaun Jackson, he was one last year. It would have been great if he played the entire season and said he just played one game. So I didn't win many best ball leagues because of that. Um, but, you know, this is, a team, th- this, this is a team that spent so much to fill in that same type of skill set and that same type of role this offseason. Yet they still have the player who oh, we know is still best in that role and still best in that skill set. And it wouldn't shock me at all if Deshaun Jackson leads all Eagles wide receivers in fantasy points this season. Yeah. I mean, it's not one of these things. He led the league in yards per reception in 2018, even though, you know, he kind of had Jameis overthrowing him on every other deep ball. And last year he was fantastic in the one game sample size we had. And again, if people just want to hang their hat on the guy's going to be injured. I mean, he's played at least 12 games in all but one season of his career. There's no reason why we should just necessarily assume D Jax is just not going to be able to stay healthy at all. And again, we're freaking round 12. Oh, no, he went three picks before. He went after Rager, two picks after Rager. All right, I'm looking at any of these running backs stick out. I don't – I guess – What are your point stands, by the way? Uh, Yes, we are all high on DJX. All right, guys, Curtis Samuel versus Anthony Miller. Oh, I was going to say Preston Williams. But, um, I mean, we we have a chance to get two also. Is there a chance Curtis Samuel could just be this low ADOT new guy? Let's get the ball in his hands and 100 plus targets, and it works out fabulously. I have no idea. I think it's solely unpredictable, wholly unpredictable to predict what Joe Brady's going to do and who's going to play that Justin Jefferson role in his offense. And if I had to name one, I think it would be Justin Jefferson. Uh, excuse me, I think it would be DJ Moore. So I'm going Curtis. Okay. We're going to have, I think we'll have a shot at two. The- The difficult thing with Curtis Samuel is the team also brought in Robbie Anderson, right? Probably the connection he had with Matt Rule. But really, it it was named a three-year contract with Robbie Anderson. Really, it's just a one-year contract when you look at the money. Mm -hmm. And last year, he and Curtis Samuel basically won in the same area of the field. And now you have Teddy Bridgewater, who, you know, had the lowest air yards per attempt last year trying to throw to both. But I, I would say if either one of those players can win in the short intermediate area more and is better with the ball in their hands, obviously Curtis Samuel is better at that than Robbie Anderson is. And that's what I'm thinking. It seems pretty clear the contract that Robbie signed, he's going to be a field stretcher in this offense. He's not going to command, you know, a super heavy target share. So, hey, last year, if Kyle Allen was more accurate on those balls to Curtis Samuel, we could have been looking at almost identical production from Curtis Samuel versus DJ Moore. Teddy Bridgewater is an upgrade in every sense of the word over Kyle Allen. Maybe it works out for Curtis. And all it took was a round 12 pick to see. So. Uh, yeah. go, you, go ahead. I was going to say, I, you mentioned it being highly volatile with Curtis Samuel. I think it's the same for Robbie Anderson. I do think they'll have like top 12 weeks. I just don't think we will ever be able to pick them. You only have one tight end on your team right now, Ian. And I would say maybe a player who I'm most excited about not just the tight end group, but it's still on the left on the board right now is Chris Herndon. It's yeah. Chris Herndon. I mean, he's also a player that could lead or be the second in that team in targets. I mean, Brashad Perryman's out there. Denzel Mims is still on the board. We've given them absolutely zero thought. It was Jameson Crowder, who we know who he is week in and week out. Chris Herndon is one who I think in what year three could potentially have not a breakout season, but a fantastic season at the position this year. Yeah, Preston Williams just went. That was the only guy that was going to make it kind of a tough choice for me because I, I see a bunch of these 
wide receivers that I'd be fine with uh, falling to the next round. So yeah, let's go. Let's go Chris Herndon. I mean, I, I know Ryan Griffin was fine last year, but again, it's not like Ryan Griffin was keeping Herndon on the bench. He literally was suspended and he pulled his hamstring running routes on air and couldn't play the rest of the season. So frustrating. And because it was so frustrating, one of the best rookie tight ends we've seen in quite some time is falling to round 13. So yeah, I mean, Herndon luckily has a week 11 bye because I definitely checked that before and uh, not week eight. So there we go. Uh, it reminds me of how people were treating Leonard Fournette the year prior, uh, just or last year, I should say, how he was just riddled with injuries coming in. But the injury he had the year before was completely indifferent. It was not the same foot injuries he was plagued with his entire career. So it just didn't matter. And the volume we knew was going to be there, and yet everyone just kept citing, oh, no, injuries. It's not going to – like, I'm not going to draft him. It's like the value's right here for – to be that catastrophic again for Chris Herndon, it's almost impossible like at least I imagine he'll be on the field. Um, since we have about, I don't know, 13 selections, 14 until your next pick. Ian, why don't we go down the list of running backs and wide receivers and put some stars next to some of these names of players who definitely intrigue you? Because obviously that always makes, you know, finding these players that much easier. Um, running back is a difficult one. I mean, Reichel Armstead stands out to me because he's, we've talked about Leonard Fournette's situation quite a bit. And if someone is going to inherit that 15 touch workload each and every week, it might be Reichel Armstead. Um, Anthony McFarland is a name we also mentioned because of the James Conner as an early round pick for, for this team. Malcolm Brown is still there and he's competing with unknowns and Daryl Henderson and, and Cam Akers. Who else stands out to you? Yeah, Josh, what are your thoughts on Darrington Evans? Cause I was looking at this, and look, the Titans, they swapped Deion Lewis for Darrington Evans. And from what I've read on him, he doesn't seem like your prototypical three-down back. But guess what? Deion Lewis isn't exactly your prototypical three-down back. And anytime Derrick Henry has missed time, Deion Lewis got that featured three-down role. Darrington Evans could be a pretty sneaky kind of legit potential three-round, uh, three-down handcuff for Derrick Henry at this point in the draft. Yeah, I, I understand where you're coming from with that conclusion. I would just say that a lot of the names I just mentioned, I would like to have them more because I, I, I agree with that. I'm just curious on Darrington. Yeah. Like, cause I, I know at least what we're getting a little bit from Reichel Armstead. Um, I know what we're getting from Malcolm Brown. If he gets that workload with rookies, unless to me, I was super confident in them entering the draft. It's one where it's difficult for me to now evolve and get excited about Darrington Evans, not because of the talent, but just because he might potentially get the situation at some point this season. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I think, though, if you were someone who is betting vehemently against the Titans' offense, it would be insane for you not to have Darrington Evans in every single draft. Because like, if they do fail and are not successful and uh, seem to be throwing a lot, it won't be Henry on the field. We know it's going to be Evans. They're going to take Henry off the field. So you have to have pieces of them. Let's talk about roster structure. Right now, I mean, two quarterbacks, what, six running backs already? Five uh, running no, backs already. Four. Four, excuse four. me. Um, a handful of wide receivers, two tight ends. There are six rounds left. We need to add at least two defenses as well. Correct. So how does the roster construction play out the rest of this time? Is there a certain number of running backs you have to have wide receivers you think you need to have in this roster? Well, I'm going to use the last two rounds on defense. So we have 14, 15, 16. We have four, five picks left to uh, 
or four, four or five picks left to fill out the rest of the roster. I think, uh, you know, as Daigle said, we're looking at that six running back number. I'm liking Raquel Armstead if he falls. And then from there, I mean, Darrington stands out maybe down the way. Malcolm Brown potential because Malcolm Brown just might be the week one starter. We don't know that. It's really a mystery in that backfield. So getting two of those three, I'd feel good about. And then just, you know, picking off some more of these wide receivers. I mean, Denzel Mims, T. Higgins. I could go even Cole Beasley, just knowing I have Josh Allen and, you know, things he could do. Randall Cobb's interesting because I reached on him badly in a best ball draft and John was making fun of me for it. But he gave this guy. 17 million or something in guaranteed money. He's going to be out there in three wide receiver sets. And they just, he's very unique in that offense. I mean, if anyone is going to get those targets that Hopkins was getting in the underneath area of the field last year, which he was the leading guy, I think Cobb, we could say, will be running more of those routes than, you know, Cooks, Fuller, or even Kenny Stills. Why not Josh Reynolds? I saw Josh Reynolds' name on that list as well, because if anyone's going to inherit that Brandon Cooks role, if they do continue to run predominantly three wide receiver sets and they're going to I mean as much as we talk about the Rams being you know focusing on two tight ends I would say that more than 50 percent of the time you're still gonna have three wide receivers in the field this season yeah that's interesting and I mean I guess the thought is I think you've comped Van Jefferson like he's there in almost Cooper Cuff's role so not yes yeah he's not a threat to Reynolds I get it. I do think they're going to – I just feel like McVay's been talking so much more about, you know, trying to be different from week to week and using his three running backs and just how good Higby was. I, I think Reynolds is not going to be a 70% guy. I think he'll be a 50% guy along there with Everett. Maybe he can still do something with it. But, all right, real quick, on the clock, Raquel got sniped four picks before. Oh, sad day. I know. I'm looking at Malcolm Brown and kind of leaning towards him. Do you guys see any of these wide receivers that – you would take before Brown? No, because I, I think that those safe players that you mentioned in like Cole Beasley or even a Larry Fitzgerald or maybe even a Randall Cobb, we can get those types kind of in any round of the draft, you know? I'm going with Brown. Yeah. Cool. I would have done Hines, but that's fine. It's, you know, I need to also say that this isn't a draft for people who can be listening to what we're talking about right now. Like we were recording this for all you to hear later on, not during the actual live draft. So it's not like they've been listening to us and then taking those same selections. It's just, obviously there are like minds when people select. Um, it, this is just that area. It's fascinating that we still have five rounds to go. Why not take defense this early? You know, why not take, defenses that we know are talented and I know like the top three units aren't necessarily sticky year over year but why not take defenses now when we can at least pinpoint the holy group that is superior talent talent wise compared to everyone else Daigle thoughts uh Joe Pano for for football did a study on defense win rates and we're basically trying to target high win totals with late round ADPs however if you do want to draft early high win totals, we can always just grab the Ravens and then literally wait until the very last round for our next late round defense. Yeah, Ravens just got sniped. Well, well there that's, you go. Someone else had the same thought. That's kind of the thing about these defenses. I mean, like, look, San Fran, Pittsburgh, New England, Buffalo, they should all be good, but I wouldn't call any of these teams a juggernaut potentially. I mean, we do have some questions. Out of those, I do think the Steelers are the most talented defense. And with big men, you know, for – if he's going to be back, then, yeah, I think Pittsburgh's, you know, definitely a team to be reckoned with. But, you know, if I have to go down and just 
you know, Tampa Bay is a little underrated. Even Denver, I think, is going to take a big step forward. Even someone like Washington at the bottom of the draft, they just have so many good defensive linemen you could feasibly get the sacks. So, no, I'm just not uh, – I'm not, I'm not going to concern myself with defense till later, I think. I think now that the Ravens are gone, I think we can wait. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, I'll say it quickly before you get on here. Also, remember what led us to draft the Patriots or other players to draft the Patriots last year was because they had the easiest schedule through the first half of the league. We didn't know they'd be that elite, but that's what led us to draft the easiest projected schedule coming in. And so this year, the top five easiest projected schedules for defenses, according to Warren Sharp, the Ravens, the Titans, the Browns, the Chargers, and the Steelers. So I've kind of been looking at the Browns late because I think they have enough talent to be elite as well. But um, but the Chargers is another good one. And then the Bengals uh, or Cowboys is a late one. I like that Browns call. One pick until you're selecting, you have right now Naeem Hines queued up. And Darrington Evans, who was another conversation topic before, just was selected right before you. Um, are you leaning Hines here, Ian? I think so. I mean, look, I, I think Hines more weeks than not is going to be just annoying to Mac and more specifically Jonathan Taylor, but they're talking him up enough and right. Just saying, you know, these 10 reception games, as Daigle was saying, you know, drafting late, you want to get these pass catchers, which I, I haven't done a great job with Malcolm Brown. I know Latavius did catch passes. I think he caught like 15 of those balls in his two starts. So he's not a full-time pass catcher. So yeah, I'm leaning Hines. Do you guys see anyone here? You no, I, I, I like this selection. Um, Reich also mentioned, mentioned that um, Danny Woodhead, I believe, caught like 80 passes underneath him in one season. How some games Hines is actually going to start depending on what play is actually first. You know, there are going to be some games where he catches 10 passes. In this area of the draft, what are we? Round 15? Round Hines make, right? Round 15. Oh, 15? Okay. I thought we were 17. Got it. Um, then Naeem Hines absolutely makes sense. And to be clear, uh, the guys on the board, Ian, can you flip back over to running back really quick? Like just to tell the pod who we picked him over, Justin Jackson, Justice Hill, Jamal Williams, Rashad Penny, Carlos Hyde. So it's like we're not worried about it at all. I'd rather take Naeem Hines outside over those guys. Yeah, we're good. So is your view, is your gaze on the wide receiver group from here on out? Yeah, I mean, we need to add a couple more. I think we'll probably finish up with one, two. We have five wide receivers currently. We need two, two more at least. Two more at least, and then, you know, we'll see what's what. Maybe add another one. We could always go another tight end, potentially. Look, I, I, I really like Randall Cobb right now. I, th- I think yeah. that shot for Randall Cobb or that shot for Cole Beasley makes a lot of sense. You know, I, I, even, I even go back to Bill O'Brien's comments when he drafted Kiki Cutie and – who was the tight end? It wasn't Darren Phelps. Can't remember the tight end they selected that year. He was like a 26 year old coming out of UCF. Anyways, um, yeah, Jordan Akins. There you go. Um, he talked about improving the interior passing game, and obviously Bill O'Brien is not the play caller anymore. But I guarantee you, a major facet of this offseason for the Texans is going to be making, you know, easier throws out there for Deshaun Watson early in the progression. And if that's going to go to anyone on that wide receiver group, I think it's going to be Randall Cobb. I, at this point, I'm not going to – well, I guess I am going to argue against it. Uh, it's just like how many times Randall Cobb finishes a wide receiver one? Like what does, he, what does he even do in this offense? Well, we have – And our, also, our, he, our, There was a he, month last year with the Cowboys, I do understand, where he was trending ahead of Amari Cooper, and that was the, that was the month that Amari Cooper was heavily injured. Why not Devin Funches? Decent point. Are, are we Russell Gage is an injury away from being that offense's number two receiver? Devin Funches. 
And also with the Randall Cobb selection, that's another week eight buy if that factors in here. Because the reason I was going to mention Randall Cobb is that you can most likely project him for, what, at least four catches per week. But that's not necessarily going to matter when he has the same bye week as the other players that we were hoping to have. Um, maybe that that very, very low minimum threshold for those picks. I, Devin, I mean, it wouldn't be shocking if Devin Funches has the second highest wide receiver numbers in that offense behind Devontae Adams, would it, Ian? You're not wrong, but we could say the same thing about, you know, Corey Davis. I do like Antonio Gibson, the fact he has a week eight buy, and I'm not getting stacking benefit, and just I don't know what to trust in Washington with really anything beyond Terry McLaurin. I'm probably going to be passing on Antonio Gibson, although I have liked getting him at the end of drafts. That's pretty much my sacrifice for the week eight buy thing. I'm still cool with Cobb. I'm, I like Funches, though, too, man. I mean, yeah, it's, you know, I, I get it. Alan Lazard, he goes to Thanksgiving with Aaron Rodgers, you know, their BFS and all that. But Funches could very well be the second best wide receiver on the Packers. God, this is the worst argument we're having ever right now. Because, <laughs> I, I mean, I like Antonio Gibson over Randall Cobb, but both of them have week eight buys. I don't know what to think about Funches one-year deal. I like Steven Sims, but that may be wearing three condoms. And Antonio Brown isn't even on a team. And I actually like Antonio Brown, too. So I know. What about Corey Davis, guys? No, shut up. Are you being he's serious a, or are you joking? He's the number two guy there. Oh, I'm he had hard to yell at you, but no. Zero catchable deep ball targets last year, per the fine folks at PFF. We're waiting till Corey Davis washes clean and goes to another team. Okay, okay. Hopefully, I mean, back. but but there are there are some bankable names near the top of this list: Larry Fitzgerald and Cole Beasley. And we have not discussed either of those names. I understand that you know we are not aiming for upside for either of those names. I understand at least in Cole Beasley's case and in Larry Fitzgerald's case, you had wide receiver ones enter both teams. But these have been productive receivers for multiple seasons now. Yeah, I mean, why couldn't Cole Beasley just do exactly what he did last year and Correct. John Ross takes the big hit? Because that's – I mean, I don't think Diggs is really going to be stealing slot snaps. And, you know, I think Beasley, and especially second half of the season, we did see Josh Allen kind of forming a nice report with Beasley. Most importantly, he doesn't have a week eight bye, and it is a nice little stacking partner for Josh Allen. Okay, I'm going to write down who I would take because I don't want to influence this decision. I'll have the two players I would take on this back to back because I don't think okay. I don't think they'll be taken, and then I'll let y'all decide. All right, all right, all right. Because I mean, y'all both like uh, Devin Funches and Randall Cobb, so do that. Do Randall Cobb with this pick. Yeah, all right. I need one more wide receiver to feasibly start three and week eight, and then you know let running back fill up the flex. Well, so Devin Funches doesn't have a week eight bye. That's Randall true. Cobb does. Randall Cobb would also be a double stack with Deshaun Watson, though. Honestly, I would like to get with these next 16, 17. I got three picks. I'd love to get Beasley, Cobb, and A.B. Get both of my quarterback slot guys and then take a freaking lottery ticket on Antonio Brown. I I just – Are you off the A.B. train, Josh? Yeah. I mean, there is no way, in my opinion, he makes a return to the NFL. Like – uh, and I, I was the one who was taking Rob Gronkowski last year at this time, you know, because I, I thought that there was a chance. But the situations could not be more different, you know. What, there what is name I just typed in. <sighs> well, if Josh Gordon's going anywhere, Josh Gordon is going to the Seattle Seahawks, and at best, he's the third pass catcher on that offense on a team that doesn't have a lot of passing volume. I mean, I. I would much rather take so many of the names that we just mentioned over Antonio Brown than 
just bank on someone taking the risk of AB in 2020? I, I would say I'd be fine putting Funches above Antonio Brown. I see John's just disgusted over there. But... I have not players written down. No, I'm not. I'm not part of it. I'm not influencing this decision. Well, but you are part of it. Like I know you've done a lot of these the names we said. Though we're arguing Cole Beasley or Antonio Brown. Like I'm not I... going to take part in this. Well, I'm I'm slightly offended that you think we are arguing here. Okay, I think this is this is just a this is just a discussion on so, what we could. I, I try to look at profiles though at this spot, and I just don't think Cole Beasley. I'm I have a blanket rule not to draft Cole Beasley. I'll just put it that way. Like, I just don't think he will ever get me a winning week. Like, he won't help my team at all. That is just what, me. That is which which of these wide receivers do you think will give you a winning week? I have it written down, Josh. Well, we've got seven, five seconds until Ian Harditz selects. If you want Ian Harditz to win those weeks, why not share the name? I mean, I understand your argument for Randall Cobb. I, I totally get it. He could very well lead the Texan targets, no joke, or just receiving yards. Uh, plus, it would be a double stack with Deshaun Watson, so I'm definitely not opposed. I think I would personally lean Antonio Gibson um, because he at least has a better profile than Randall Cobb to have an RB2 or wide receiver two week. Hmm. Yeah, give me Funches. Okay. Yeah, I got Funches. I had a quick connection. Connection issue, but we were good. I got Devin Funches. Okay. Antonio Gibson's an interesting selection because – I know you didn't take him, but – going back to Daigle's point, because it absolutely seems like Scott Turner and Ron Rivera, whenever they talk about him, it's only in the scope of running back, running back, running back. In this league, he's listed as a wide receiver. I would not play Antonio Gibson as a running back because I think the best opportunity to get him legitimate volume is at wide receiver. And he's also a player who broke like 16 tackles, at running back, 17 tackles at wide receiver on like a combined 70 touches last year at just like this absurd rate. Why think that he has to be this mismatch, you know, hybrid player? Why not lock him in at one position? But based on all the verbiage that the team has been saying, and that's what we most can connect with the truth, that is not going to happen with Antonio Gibson. And that's concerning to me. Well, 21 personnel does count. Like they could use them out wide as well. Um, I think, and I could be reading this wrong. Maybe you have the tea leaves better than me. But I think when they said two running backs in the field at the same time, I thought they meant they could play AP or guys with him also being involved out wide. That That is such a storyline that is used in the offseason, like two running backs. How often do you see that on an NFL field? Remember when Chris you never see that on an NFL field. Year, yeah. I mean, I, again, I'll go back to Scott Turner. And the Turners in Carolina had one back on the field for 92% of the time, right? And that was Christian McCaffrey. That is not going to happen this year because there is no player that has a skill set like Christian McCaffrey. Few do, if any, in the NFL. So when Adrian Pearson's on the field, it's a tell. When Darius Geis is on the field, it's a little bit less of a tell. But when Antonio Gibson is on the field, we don't know what it's going to be. And I don't – I mean, I wouldn't be surprised – if by week five, week six, week seven, we get to it and he's a wide receiver because they absolutely need wide receiver help. But at this point, and this is why June drafts are going to be fun to compare to July and August and so on and so forth, the evolution of what his role is going to be. Because if he is now only running with wide receivers, then yes, he would be one of my favorite targets in the round 15, round 14 area for sure. That's fair. Because Curtis, even Curtis Samuel, 
they tried to expand his role once North Turner got fired, and he had nine carries total over their last four games once Scott, or Scott took over. So I, I think Antonio Gibson plays that role, but you're right. Like If it does amount to only, what, five touches per game, then of course he's not going to do anything. Right. Or he won't be useful for fantasy anyways. He'll be a much better player on the field. All right, um, I took Cole, Cole Beasley with the last pick. We have one more. I'm going to take a Houston Texan. Do you guys think it'd be smarter to take Randall Cobb or Darren Fells? We have one more. We have one more before we have to take two defenses. Yes. Okay. Um, what defenses are available? I just want to make sure we're not missing out on a whole run here. No. Let's wait till the pick. I don't know. Any of those teams, I'm good. I mean, Buffalo's defense is nasty. Don't get me wrong, but they're not going to be there. Yeah. That's fine. As long as like that little middle tier is a left for us, that's okay. We can get by. Yeah. Fells versus Cobb. I mean, I have one, two. I now have four wide receivers with a non-week eight, so I, that's fine. Adding, you know, we're adding one stacking partner to Deshaun Watson either way. I would say Cobb's floor is a bit higher, but at the same time, like if Fells had double-digit touchdowns this year, I don't think we'd be shocked. I mean, I would go Gerald Everett over Fells, though. And I, it's, you would? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I absolutely would as well. He's like hmm. my favorite late round tight end. He just won. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> That's how it happens. This is how these things happen. They are listening to you. Um, if you wanted, and I know we took two quarterbacks probably earlier than we were expecting and maybe earlier than any other draft will be in this year, Ian, but what quarterbacks are available here in round 17? Can you go and click on that tab? I mean, you still, uh, there's no one. Oh, they're all gone. Grief. Yep. They're all gone. I mean, you can go Dwayne Haskins if you want to. Tyrod Tyra Taylor's on there, but like there are, Jarrett Stidham, obviously Nick Foles, but none of these guys are locked in starters. So, you know, we talk about late round quarterbacks, but you can't wait obviously until the very last rounds to take them because the Raiders, their car, Mariota. <laughs> we, fortunately, we have our two quarterbacks where we knew from the very beginning, from the seventh round on, this was going to be a two quarterback. Yeah. Home. And I also want to look at the running back tab since we're not taking any of those remaining. I just want to see who's left. Rashad Penny's out there. Carlos Hyde, both Seattle Seahawks. Um, so my favorite among this group would be either Chris Thompson or Gio Bernard. And yes, I'm some also like Ian, one of the ones championing that maybe it is Travion Williams over Gio Bernard if Joe Mixon does hold out as we are still waiting for that decision to happen, whatever it may be. But uh, but now is when you're also trying to to bank on those situations and bet on your Raquel Armsteads, right? Like earlier, we're betting on him as a starter. Um, we would be betting that Gio Bernard would be a starter for a couple games. Now, I just want to bring up, you know, we talk about handcuffs. To me, there is absolutely zero reason to take someone like Reggie Bonifon, who is totally. like the 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 number one handcuff to Christian McCaffrey. Because to me, if Christian McCaffrey, no, he is. Because if Christian McCaffrey goes down, then they're just going to sign a veteran running back to replace him. Like they're not just going to. Curtis Samuel's going to take over the league as a RB wide receiver hybrid. He was born to be Josh. I was having a serious statement here, but this is, I mean, it, you know, just because right now a player has that backup running back position doesn't mean you can't just replace like we, we use that word all the time with running backs, replace someone in that same week and go and use him in the offense. I, I would highly doubt, and I know he had a couple long runs and a couple long plays last year, but I highly doubt Reggie Bonifon would be like the true handcuff to Christian McCaffrey if McCaffrey missed multiple weeks uh, next season. 
And on my personal uh, Larry Fitzgerald, Cole Beasley, Mount Rushmore, if these guys aren't going to do anything, I try to keep injured players on there as well. Like uh, Rashad Penny, even though it's late, it's not even worth it. Like, you know the guy's going to land on Pup, Alshon Jeffrey as well. Why even threaten with it? Like, just don't touch them. All right, Ian just took Darren Fells to round out all the skill position players that he can take in this draft. There are two defensive spots left. Um, what are we looking for? Let's circle back on this when selecting defenses at the end, because obviously we know that points really stem from sacks and turnovers week to week. And the best way to create opportunities for sacks and turnovers is to be attached to an offense that has positive game scripts. So the other team has negative game scripts. So they have to pass more often. Yeah. I mean, Dago, would you agree with these like uh, current ADP of the guys left saints, bears, Vikings, Rams, bucks, I mean, just I think it's a good point what you made, Josh. We want we want to pay attention to the game script. We saw last year how a great Bears defense, what happens when the offense goes from average to, you know, a laughing stock. And unfortunately, the Bears, the Rams, even the Vikings a little bit. Like, I'm just not all that confident they're going to be very good teams this year. So I think the Saints kind of deserve to be that top squad, having the talent they do on their defensive line. I know they had some injuries towards the end of last year that maybe didn't uh, make them look quite as good as they are at full health. But even if the Saints, like, strictly defensive ceiling isn't as high as these other squads, like, their offense is so much more of a sure thing that I think I'd want to take them if they fall. Uh, I have the Saints and then the Eagles, one and two among the okay. hmm. Well, the group that is available right now, the Saints, the Bears, the Vikings, the Rams, the Bucks, and the Titans, and then Denver are that order in ADP currently. Yeah, I think the Saints make a lot of sense. I think the Bucks make a lot of sense. I mean sure. – I, I understand people's questions of where Tom Brady is right now, but I mean, that offense is going to be in so many more positive game script situations than they were last year. And I really like some of the young corners and defensive backs on that team last year. They have some players who can create a pass rush. I mean, Jack Barrett, led the NFL in sacks last year, who knows if they can, if they can do that again. Um, and then I would even throw in the Denver Broncos, man. I mean, Vic Fangio and that defense with the personnel that they have, now attached to a high-octane offense that we are excited to watch each and every week. At least we think on paper it can put up points. Um, I wouldn't you know, be upset if Denver is is the one we have to go with here. Yeah, I don't hate it, man. I mean, Denver, they had a rough kind of first month on defense last year. But after that, they kind of got back to being anyone's idea of a top-10 unit. And that was without Bradley Chubb. That was without Bryce Callahan. So they could actually take – a nice step forward. Losing Chris Harris sucks, but, you know, adding A.J. Bouye and just kind of the scheme, I think Fangio runs there. Where they don't, you know, they were letting Chris Harris shadow guys, but, you know, going back to Chicago, I think uh, Fangio kind of prefers to let his cornerbacks stay on an island. And when you do that, I just think it kind of, you can get away with having slightly less talent there. So I'm buying the defensive line and yeah, Denver's loaded. I agree with Denver's defense. Yes. There's still some really good names on this one though. Like Minnesota's corners cannot be worse than they were last year. Knock on wood. Um, Neil Hunter back though. I mean, I think that's really, I don't know where he's going. That's kind of one of the big free agent names is still out there. I know everyone's focused on Clowney, but who, I mean, what him, did you say? Neil Hunter. Oh, I'm sorry. Everson Griffin. Yeah. Everson Griffin. Yeah. I mean, you know, he, he might be going to Seattle that I'm sure, I'm sure he might return to Minnesota. Who knows? Um, since I, I want to just list a couple of these names, though, because I do like a couple of these late-round shots. Uh, we talked about Giovanni Bernard already, Eno Benjamin. Um, we drafted Darren Fails, but Albert Wilson, Jarrett McKinnon, I think is also a legitimate late-round option. Uh, I like some of these darts here. 
So New Orleans and Denver just went right before the defenses that yeah. Ian is going to select. Uh, you have the Philadelphia Eagles selected right now. It's Philly versus Tampa. Uh, Tampa I like, was. No, I, I like Philly, man. I mean, maybe I am just too confident in Carson Wentz and the Philadelphia Eagles this season, but I also really love the improvements that they tried to make on the defensive side of the ball, namely Darius Slay at cornerback. All great, man. Yeah. Yep. I mean, I, I might be the biggest fan of Javon Hargrave other than Javon Hargrave. So <laughs> the, I, I love that pick. It makes a lot of sense to me, Ian. I'll just say Tampa, I mean, they were the fifth-ranked defense in the league in DVOA last year, even ahead of Buffalo. And, yeah, it, a lot of it was because they were number one against the run. You know, we saw teams have a lot of success through the air. But second half of the season, they did start it, They did start to kind of figure that out. Carlton Davis, Jamel Dean, I mean, they haven't had even, like, decent corners in Tampa Bay for years, and they just kept throwing draft picks at it. And finally, it seems like they at least have a few guys that can hold up a little bit. So, you know, if you get a year-two lead from Devin White, I mean, him and David – Middle, look out. All right, let's review because you're basically going to have no pick of the defenses that are left when this comes back to you because you're the fourth to last selection and everyone else is going to take a defense as well. Um, let's review your roster. Again, at quarterback, Deshaun Watson and Josh Allen. On a, you know, A through F scale, Ian, your confidence level in your quarterbacks. Oh, that's A. I mean, I got two of my top six guys, six, seven guys pretty much. So, I mean, they can both run. It's why we only need to take two. You know, this is the first draft I've come away with, two high-end quarterbacks like this. But the way the board was kind of shaken out, I'm, I'm very happy with it. Running backs, Ezekiel Elliott, James Conner, David Montgomery, Latavius Murray, Malcolm Brown, and Naeem Hines. John Daigle, your thoughts? Yeah, we're going to get to a receiver here in a little bit, but – if it did veer off, like I'm happy with the roster overall, but if it veered off, I think there are a couple little tweaks we could have done. For instance, since we did start out running back heavy with those first two, rather than going Thielen with the third pick, we could have got another running back. Um, Josh Allen, rather than taking a second strong quarterback, maybe waiting and grabbing a second and third weaker quarterback over Josh Allen. So I think there are little tweaks we could have done, but overall we are definitely top heavy. I will say that. Well, since I'm just asking about running backs, uh, Ian yeah, Hines, yeah. Well, I mean, what, that's kind of the fallout, though, of the running backs we drafted was the rest of the roster. Ian, what's your report card for your running backs? Yeah, I'd give it like a B. I mean, it was nice getting Zeke to us. It was just a t- the comeback in round two at pick four, which is tough because the all the big five, uh, big five running backs were well off the board, and even like the following kind of seven, eight guys that you can talk yourself into in that RB1. Borderline, they were pretty much gone too, and so were the uh, big five wide receivers. Hopkins got sniped right before me. So I see what Daigle's saying. I mean, Connor, again, the ceiling's there, and I'm happy he's on the squad. But knowing we had Connor, I think if I would have gone, and as we were talking about potentially doing, I mean, you know, if I could have gotten maybe David Johnson or Melvin Gordon, someone like that, instead of Thielen, the RB group might look a much stronger and I don't think we would notice the hit as bad if, you know, I was rolling it back with, I don't like Debo Samuel instead of Adam Thielen. Yeah. It's obviously a position where compared to ADP, we did reach a few times, right? James Conner was a reach. David Montgomery was a reach, but for ADPs are right now, that's not where ADP is going to end up in August. Right. And I think we can just be ahead of the curve when people realize that the opportunity difference 
that those two running backs had in comparison to other running backs that are listed higher in terms of ADP. I, I wouldn't be surprised if we come out on the positive end of that versus the opposite of it. So that's fair. I still just think James Conner and Montgomery as a whole, I'm trying to have a four strong RB build as opposed to three, because I think there are enough questions with those two that I would like one more sturdy presence. And like Latavius Murray, uh, if he takes over, like if Kamara went down, then of course he can be strong, but that's, that's a big if. Yeah. That's but just I think what, on those two players, by the way. Yeah. And I, I, I think that it's strong at wide receiver though, with this team. I mean, Adam Thielen, Terry McLaurin, are two strengths of this roster wouldn't shock me at all if both are top 12 in targets in the NFL this season. Then after that, you have shots that we all want to take in Will Fuller, Deontay Johnson, um, you know, two vertical playmakers who are connected to, we think, good quarterbacks, hopefully, this season. Then after that, it's Curtis Samuel, Devin Funches, and Cole Beasley, which is kind of a mixed bag of late round wide receivers. Ian, your report card. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think you nailed it. I mean, I'm really happy with the top four. I've had better late round darts, I think, than this group, but I, I don't, I don't hate them. It's just one of these things. I mean, you can look at the wide receivers, you can find guys through the fifties and even up to almost sixty. Sometimes it seems like that you can talk yourself into like your Devin Funches uh, of the world. So, again, it just, I do agree with Daigle. Like, it would have been nice to have one of. I mean, you know, just looking at the running backs, one of the. Mixon, Eckler, Drake, Chubb, Jacob, Sanders, Jones group. Like they were pretty much gone by the time I had to kind of reach on Connor a little bit. So I don't think it's a bad roster. I agree the receivers are the strength. But again, like the receivers tend to be the strength of almost all these rosters, it seems like, after we draft them. So, Well, the goal was to also, for everyone listening and watching, to take away big picture thoughts. So I think in explaining everything as we are going along, someone can say, oh, I would do this here instead of what they did. And that should help them. Let's close out with tight end. It was Noah Fant, Chris Herndon, and then Darren Fells. Um, I think we're all excited for Noah Fant's second season. I think we're all excited for Chris Herndon's third season. And then you had a stack at tight end and quarterback, and I guess at wide receiver here as well, with Darren Fells and the Houston Texans. Uh, Ian Hardich, you must be optimistic about the Houston Texans in 2020. Yeah, I mean, there's just a lot of opportunity. And it's kind of the same thing with the Giants, where it's just an uncertain pecking order. And, you know, Fells' floor is as – kind of same rotating one to two tight end he was last year where he's you know, going to be very touchdown dependent, but I got the guy throwing him the touchdowns. And so I feel good about him. I would have rather had Cobb there, but he got sniped. So that's the only reason why I kind of added a third tight end. But again, Fanton Herndon are two of those guys in that group of eight to 10 rookie tight ends. I've been talking about to average at least eight yards per target. So, you know, just betting on one of them pretty much to really have the type of season that I think they're capable of. I'm fine with tight end. I, I would give, you know, Wide receiver, running back, and tight end, probably all Bs, and I'm really happy with the quarterback. So, all in all, we'll go, we'll go B-plus for my personal grid. And defenses, where do we settle? Eagle with the new else? I got the Cowboys at the end yeah. over the likes of Jacksonville, Texans, Dolphins, Panthers, Atlanta. They'll have more opportunity on defense. That's fine. Yeah. Makes sense. And, Dave, you mentioned that hopefully the listeners can learn some things along the way. I have certainly learned some things along the way, especially on – how I can be potentially a better host during this and highlighting certain things just for the audio listeners um, out there. I will be sure to listen back to this, only improve moving forward. You guys were great though. John Tagle, Ian Hart. I think the first one went well. The first yeah. time we've done this, that went good. Yeah, I think so too. Um, again, we at least want to do one of these 
in July and August as well. Probably do multiple of these in August because I know hopefully that these are a big help to all of you going through your drafts as well. As always, if you enjoy this podcast, leave us a ring review, subscribe. It helps us out. Tell one friend. Absolutely. Um, good job. Nice job, gentlemen. This was fun. Good spending an hour and a half with you. Free and It's a good time. Free and for John Daigle. I am Josh Norris up the villa. We'll talk to y'all soon. See ya. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.